Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That's right. It is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. I am Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez, handling things for us behind the scenes. And I want to point out right here at the top of the show that my guy, Adam Spillane, is a traveling man. We were just, uh, the last time I think we saw each other, Adam, was at NRG Stadium for the national championship game when, when Michigan handled business against Washington, and that was Monday. He, we are recording now on Thursday, and you have been traveling pretty much on the East Coast ever since. You are you were in Chicago, and now you said you're not in Chicago anymore now. You're Where are you now? You're I'm in beautiful Detroit, Michigan. You're in Detroit. You're in Detroit. Man, t- t- first of all, how's your travels, man? How are you, how you living? Uh, it's cold. It's very cold here. Uh, don't really like that, but, you know, I'll, I'll survive. Uh, just take just kind of taking in part of this Rockets road trip and um, – had an opportunity yesterday to, to talk to Alperin Shingun for a bit after shoot around. Um, you know, it, it's a good opportunity here. Just you get, you, you get some access on the road that you don't get when you are at home, just because of how many more people there are, there are when you're at home. So it, it's good for me to get out here. Um, yesterday's game was, was a really good one. It didn't look like it was going to be a good game um, really for, I guess the first three quarters, uh, and then the Rockets really went on a went on a nice run defensively in the fourth. Uh, probably should have won that game. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where where both teams kind of gave it away at multiple at multiple stops. Uh, but then I'll be at Rockets Pistons tomorrow, and then uh, Ime Udoka's return uh, to Boston on Saturday. So a good little trip. Yeah, for sure, man. And I want to get to your conversation with Shingun. See what all you guys talked about in just a moment. We'll also talk about. You know, Cam Whitmore, I think, has been a bit of a revelation. And just some of the things that we've seen, some of our observations from the Rockets over the last couple of weeks. But let, let's just start with with Wednesday night's game. Like you mentioned, there was a there were moments where they should have lost it, then should have won it, and then absolutely did not earn it at the end. You know, you got to give credit to Chicago for making plays in overtime. But the the takeaway, and you wrote about this, and, I, and this was my feeling in watching the game, but the takeaway was Jabari Smith and just his growth, the way he defended DeMar DeRozan down the stretch, and then just, just overall how much more comfortable he looks out there on the basketball floor. Uh, what what were your impressions of Jabari Smith in this game? And, and you know, just kind of tell us the, the, the gist of what you wrote about. Well, you look at just the numbers overall. I think it was, what, 18 points on 7 of 14 shooting. He was 4 of 9 from 3. He had 15 rebounds. Like, he just – he made an impact – on both ends of the floor and you know he can guard anyone this is this is why you draft him where you draft him because of the shooting because of the defensive presence and the fact that he can guard anyone essentially one through five he's still still getting better when it comes to guarding bigs but he can still do it and i think for me that last possession of regulation where it's him against demar Derozan in isolation it, it, there's 23 seconds left on the clock and demar Derozan is basically been one of the best isolation players in basketball for the last seven years. Really, the, the NBA started uh, keeping data on isolations, uh, really, of, of plays uh, about eight years ago. For the last seven, DeRozan's been in the 80th percentile when it comes to isolation. And there's a few years where he's been in the 90th percentile, which is incredibly high when you consider how many isolation isolation possessions that he gets every single game. And 
he's got some tricks and you know those tricks are coming and Jabari Smith did not fall for any of those tricks and he forced DeRozan into a really tough 20-foot fadeaway and he missed it and that gave the Rockets an opportunity to get into overtime so that's just that's a really difficult possession that's a really difficult island to be put on and he handled it really well and he's had a really good season uh again one of, one of the things with with Smith is that the numbers, I don't think for him, I don't think the numbers will ever jump off the page. He's never going to be the type of guy who's going to average like 25 and 10. But he is going to score the basketball. He's going to score the basketball efficiently. And then he's going to play really good defense all over the floor. So I, I think that this has been just a really good year for him. And again, the numbers, like the overall, the top line numbers, they won't jump off the page. Like I, I think he was averaging 12 points a game this year. And it's like, yeah, like I think the scoring average is up like half a point. But that does not show you how big of an impact he's had and how much he has improved really at everything this season. Yeah, and I think for me, I, I focus so much on the scoring, and, and part of that was because the shooting wasn't really quite there as much as we expected it to be even as a rookie. Like, it, it wasn't quite there, and it's improved over time. And it's still up and down at times, but it's been overall, I think, pretty good. But the defense is really the calling card with this guy. Like, we got to remember – even going back to the draft. And I think there were some times, there have been times where even the defense was lacking or and it wasn't necessarily effort. It just, was, it just wasn't there yet or developing fast enough, I think maybe for some fans. But he's been so good at it lately. And I thought, especially, I guess especially watching last night against the Rose and all the things that you mentioned, I thought, I feel like watching him out there without Dylan Brooks highlights it even more. Because Dylan Brooks is, you know, the kind of like their go-to perimeter defender. And, you know, we talk a lot about the improvement on defense with the Rockets. And then we associate it with all of the veteran leadership that they brought in. Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Vliet, Ime Udoka's intensity, Alperen Shingun, who we're going to talk about in just a moment, really developing into a, a much more of an all-around player and doing more things on that end of the floor to where it's it seems like somewhat, I wouldn't say forgotten, but like just underlying there is, hey, you know what, you drafted an elite defensive prospect, even if he's not going to be what you just said, the the prolific scorer who gives you, to, maybe it is just 18 a game, maybe, maybe it's just somewhere right around 20, but not quite much more than that. But he's the guy that can guard, you know, most one through or, you know, two through, five, one through four, given, you know, depending on what the makeup is of the other team, like a guy who can come in and be not only your most versatile defender, but perhaps your best one if he realizes his potential. Like he he looks much more now like the player you were kind of expecting him to be. And it's kind of a reminder of how long sometimes it takes. And it's not like it's been forever, but but it stood out to me even more so with the absence of Dylan Brooks. Like, hey, when the game's on the line like that, it's going to be Jabari Smith that you're going to put on, you know, on a DeMar DeRozan, who's an elite ISO player. Yeah, you're right. And if Brooks had been available last night, then it's probably him who's guarding DeRozan in that spot. But the fact that you feel comfortable enough and like they, they could have had Jayshon Tate out there in that spot too, or they could have had any number of guys to handle that position because you know, the bulls are going to DeRozan in that spot and they went with Jabari Smith and they felt comfortable with it. And he, did everything that you want him to do in that spot. Like that's, again, that's a really difficult spot to be in just because you're in the penalty 
So it's a tie game. You foul him, and he's great at drawing fouls. Now all of a sudden, he's basically an automatic two points from the free throw line, and now you're you find yourselves behind, and you're you're desperate to try and score. He did not foul him, and, and again, DeRozan tried. You know, he he took two dribbles to the left, two dribbles to the right, tried the crossover. He had to bring it back out. That, that's how good the defense was uh, from Jabari Smith in, in that spot, and it just. It shows you, you know, he, he admitted last night, like as a rookie, I couldn't guard. Like he, he even said, I, I could not play defense when I was a rookie last year and like playing defense at this level, it's, it's really difficult and he's getting better at it. And you know, he's got to get a little bigger. He's got to get a little stronger because again, they're going to ask him, he's basically their backup center at this point. Um, when, when they go to the bench, like he's been over the last week or so, he's been leading that second unit as the center. Then they have the four reserves out there with him. Uh, so he's got to get a little bit more physical there, but he's a good rebounder. He's got a nose for the basketball. The shooting has really taken a big leap this year. He was 40% in, and 30%, last, you know, 40% from the field, 30% from three last year. This year, I think it's, what, 48% and 38%. I mean, that, that's how much better that he has been there. So this is this is what you thought you were getting with the third pick overall last year, and this is why a lot of people thought that he would be the first guy taken in that draft. Yeah, and – Everything that you just mentioned there at the end about the shooting getting better and what you mentioned before that about him needing still to get stronger and bigger uh, to, to 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 play those center minutes. And we, I mean, we were even talking about that as uh, when he was a rookie. And here we are, you know, in year two. And it's still a thought like this backup center, he's going to have to play some five minutes at some point and have to, you know, develop his body to be able to sustain that. But this is where I'll push back a little bit on the idea of, you know, that he can't be any, I know you didn't say that he can't, you said that you don't think he will be, but I'm still holding out a little optimism for him being a, a little bit more of a score, like right around that. Like I tend to agree with you, but if he does make some of those physical improvements and we know how hard he works, like we know he's got the right sort of intangible stuff going for him. If all of that comes together, like I could see him being a, you know, light, like I always thought like, what if he could be a, some sort of, version of LaMarcus Aldridge, whatever the 2024 and and beyond version of that is like a guy who can just get his shot, uh, you know, on the block or like his mid range as he wants it, but also can, can, you know, can stretch the stretch the floor, you know, and, and then just a much better defensive player, you know, like I, I still have visions of that because he's got that touch or it seems like that, like the shot should be there. Just when you watch him shoot the ball, you're like, man, once he gets comfortable and strong enough and physically, you know, imposing enough to be able to pick his spots as opposed to kind of taking what he can get. You know, I I think he can be a a lot better than what he is, even if it's not going to be, you know, 25 a game. Maybe it's maybe it's 20, you know, maybe it's somewhere. Maybe he's a 20 and 10 guy. I still think that that's there. I don't think that the LaMarcus Aldridge comp is a bad one, uh, but he's just got he doesn't shoot the ball that much. You know, he, he gets 10 shots a game. And he can't really doesn't necessarily create offense for himself either. So the one thing about him is that he can get off his shot from anywhere on the floor. It doesn't matter if he's being defended just because of how, how tall he is. And so you can try and contest a shot, but it doesn't really matter. I remember last year he took a mid range over Evan Mobley uh, and he was able to make it like, that's a really hard way. If you can get your shot up over Evan Mobley, you can pretty much get your shot up over anyone. I mean, the only guys that might be, uh, tougher guys to get your shot up over be what Victor Wembanyama and, and Chet Holmgren at, at this point. So if you can get your shot over those, over maybe uh, and if Rudy Gay, if Rudy Gay is guarding you on the perimeter, you should cook him anyway. 
Yeah. Or I said, did I say Rudy Gay? You said Rudy Gay. <laughs> How how old am I? That that that's a very 2007 of uh you know your, the prime of your life was 2007 thing of me to say, uh yeah Rudy Gobert but yeah you know what I mean but for it, sure yeah but it, it just shows you the talent and um he's he's a guy for them we we talk about you know guys and pieces I I think that he has shown that that he's a guy moving forward yeah for sure uh, you know I I I think back I and I, I'm sure we talked since then but I think back to that. Uh, to that Atlanta game, um, where, you know, where they lost the game, but where he went for, I think it was like, what was it, like 34 and 13 or something like that. Like, I, there have been some moments where you're like, okay, this is, I'm feeling a lot better about this, and, and they should be more importantly feeling a lot better about this than, say, they did at the end of, uh, or I wouldn't even say at the end, it, by the end of his rookie year, it was kind of getting a little bit better, but you know what I mean? Maybe uh, this time yeah. a year ago. So, um, uh, yeah, so let, let, let's move on to Alperen Shingun. Since you you say you got to talk to him, what I mean, what he say, man? Like I'm I'm watching that game last night, and I'm like, dude, if, if I don't know if I've been more wrong about a player that the Rockets have had, where I just man, I just didn't think that he could could be a guy that could night in and night out or on any given night just take over games the way he did toward the end of that. Uh, you know, I, I guess we're talking fourth quarter um, before things unravel a little bit in overtime against the Bulls, but. Is Alperen Shingun? Last time we talked, we you know we said that he was playing maybe at an All Star level, but there's a lot of guys that play at an All Star level, and there are only so many guys that can go to the All Star game. What about now? Is is he strengthening his All Star case? And, and what were some of the what were some of the things that y'all talked about out there on the road? I think he is strengthening the case. I don't know if he'll get there. I, he's not going to be voted in. I, it's too hard to be voted in uh, in the West, where you're dealing with you know it's the top three. Um, forwards and centers, they all get lumped together and you're dealing with Jokic and you're dealing with LeBron and Anthony Davis and and, uh, and Kevin Durant. Like, you're just not going to crack that top three, uh, at least not right now. But he's got a chance to be reserved. That's voted by uh, the coaches, handle all-star reserves and basically every head coach absolutely raves about the guy whenever they play the Rockets. So he's got a chance. And one of the things that I brought up with him, uh, there's only been one Turkish player uh, who has been an NBA all-star, and that was Mehmet Okor. And I, I said this to him, you know you're, there's only been one Turkish player to make the all-star team, and before I could tell him who it was, he already knew. It was Mehmet Okor, and Mehmet Okor is an idol of his and somebody that he has a relationship with, and he'll text, and and so like he's got a chance to to match Mehmet Okor. Now, and then I brought up, well, Mehmet Okor never went to two all-star games, so he's got a chance to maybe – to maybe eclipse Memeto Core to to be uh, you know a multi a multi time all star and, and it's it's there for him and um, he has talked so much this was something that we talked about that I talked about with him last year about just like how he knew that this was going to be a big year for him and he worked really hard um, he said that he was in the gym and he worked out with this Serbian coach and I, I don't have his his name with me uh, right at, I've got it on my phone. Um, but they worked on some of the offensive stuff. They worked on the fundamentals um, and he stayed in the gym, whether it was in Santa, he was in Santa Barbara quite a bit because it's, it's too hot in Houston. Uh, did not really, he did not vacation at all. He said he took one week of vacation with the family and that was it. Everything else was basically spent in the gym and you could tell like he came into camp ready and focused. And that was kind of a difference from last year where he came into camp and he wasn't in shape and he did not play well during camp. He did not play well in the preseason. He got benched to start the season. And that was a big motivating, a big motivator for him where basically he told himself, well, they think Bruno Fernando is better than me. 
Well, now he went out and proved that Bruno Fernando is not better than him. And so it's, uh, he's shown a great deal of maturity. Um, he is more than willing to admit when he's not good. And, you know, you look at last night's game, you may, you said, yeah, he, he played one half of basketball. It was a great half of basketball. And, and Alfred Shingun has no problem admitting, yeah, you know, I was bad. I was really bad in the first half and I did not, I just didn't have it. But in the second half, it, it was different. And so uh, that's what, that that's the sort of stuff that you want to see. Now you would like to see him play 40 minutes or 48 minutes of basketball and then play hard all 48 minutes and play at a high level all 48 minutes. But it's a long season, and that's not always going to be the case. So um, he he's played well. He's playing hard on both ends of the floor, chase down blocks, all this other stuff. You know, he's he's the the thing with the he's Walt basically making himself a wall uh, at the rim. So it has been. I know people thought it was there, and uh, he's proving a lot of people right. Yeah, he he's. He's actually surprised me. I thought he was hopeless defensively. I know you, you just mentioned a lot of people thought it was there. I didn't think it was there in in terms of the the defense. I thought he was a talented offensive player, really crafty, and, and seeming like a kind of a maybe wise beyond his years kind of in, in, in understanding, you know, uh, it, it maybe to a fault because he'd go for the spectacular play and a lot of times when he shouldn't, but – uh, or when there was a more simple play to be made. But the the defense, man, and I think you uh, sort of at the top of this mentioning how much work he put in in his body. We, and we talked about this before, but he just – he seems like a sturdier dude now, man. And so now I'm, I'm far less surprised, but still somehow surprised. Like when he's cooking – uh, Vucevic, when he's cooking Vucevic at the end of the game there, just when he's making plays – and I'm like, this guy's really taking over the game. Like you mentioned, he'd only played one half. But, you know, I, I, I'm at a point in the season with the Rockets where, like, I know that they've got a number of guys who can close a game for them. And that number is really, like, two. It's Alperin Shagoon and Fred Van Bleet. Like, those are the guys that you're going to rely on at the end of a game to, to close it out for you or that you probably should rely on. Um, because those are your probably and and certainly their two man action might be the best thing that you got going, you know. So um, so I, I'm surprised, um, or I guess I should say I was surprised. I'm starting to be less surprised as he continues to strengthen this case. But I think defensively is the biggest thing that he's not alive. Like I I felt like if Shingun was going to be your starting center, it magnified whoever your backup center was going to be because he was going to have to play at some point just just to make up for the defensive lapses that you were going to have with Shingun out there. Now that's not even necessarily the case. They don't really have a backup center. Talked about Jabari Smith sort of playing that role, and they're able to survive it because he's not out there hurting them on defense the way that I was kind of expecting them to. Well, he's not fouling anymore. Uh, you know, how many times was he in foul trouble his first two years in the league? And now that's not that's not an issue. I mean, this is a guy who is playing 32 minutes a game and averaging three and a half fouls. Last year, he was playing, let's see, 29 minutes a game and averaging the same amount. So he's not fouling. He's able to stay on the floor. Um, that's been a really big key for him. And the other big difference, I think, is that he would fade at the end of games last year. And, like, you'd go through his scoring average, and, and we did this at one point during the season, but – he would have a big first quarter and then those numbers would dip as each quarter went along. And now you're seeing a game like last night where he's getting stronger as the game goes on. 
and he's carrying them in the fourth quarter. I don't think he could have carried a team in the fourth quarter last year. And yeah. so that's part of being in better shape, being better conditioned, getting his body right. And that's why I think that he's been able to take this big leap just because, man, in the fourth quarter, a lot of these centers, they're, they're going to get tired. And to be able to take advantage of that when you're in better condition than the other guy, I think that's been really important for him. So I, this has been – he's exceeded, I think, the expectations that I would have had for him. Uh, and he is showing that he is a legitimate you know, a, a high level, maybe even star level player in this league. Well, that was going to be my question. Is he a player that you build around? I mean, we, we, we talked about this on the podcast about how important this year was for him and, or for Alperen Shingun and Jalen Green, you know, year three, what kind of extent are they getting the max extension? What is the sort of plan and vision for the team beyond this? What, like, what are they doing? What are they building around? Is he, is he uh, we know he's strengthening his all-star case this year is that is that strong enough to strengthen his franchise centerpiece case I, I don't know yet um I, I think he's trending that way that's what I'll say he's trending that way yeah um, I agree and just just because it's such a he's so it's such a unique player and it's such a unique skill set that you don't really see teams built around players like this anymore. There's basically one, maybe to like Jokic. I don't. I, I think he's got. I don't think he's got. Embiid has a very different skill set than what he has, but I think those are probably the only two at this point. And, and so that's why I think that's just it's such a unique case. Um, would I go the max? Probably not. But I don't think I would. There are very few guys that I think I'd want to give a max to, just because you are. That's a five. That's a five-year commitment at an awful lot of money. That's a quarter billion dollars. That that's a that's a lot. So I I would probably be a little, you know, um, a little more selective when it comes to that type of a contract, especially with the way the CBA is going to work out. And you're going to have to pay Jabari Smith. You're going to have to pay Target. You're going to have to pay all these guys eventually. Uh, so that I think is a more difficult question, and you don't have to do anything this summer. I mean, you can say, "Hey, play it out." You know, if you think you're worth a max, go play like it next year, and then we'll match whatever you get. So I, I think that it's a it's a it's an interesting spot that they're in with it. But uh, I, I think that he is trending towards being a guy that you build around. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, everything that you said about it, like I'm, I've gotten to, you know. <laughs> when I watch him throughout the year and start accepting that he's just way better than I was giving him credit for just flat out, you know, admit it. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm, you know, the next logical question for me is, so is this the player that they build their team around? And, and so now what does that look like? Cause we know we talk about this all the time too. The Rockets don't have nearly enough shooting, you know, like they don't have nearly enough shooting on this team and if Alper, to me, if Alperin Shingun is going to be franchise centerpiece, it's time to start thinking about, and not like right now, today, in this moment, as they're you know playing games and everything, but when you get into the offseason, start thinking about the vision for this team, what are the kinds of players, first, do you have, how, like, okay, how many players do you have already that fit well within that, uh, within that infrastructure, and what kind of players do you need to be bringing in here? Like, you obviously need more shooters. And and that that's something for me. Like I've I've left the point of you talk about where where you were a year ago. You know I've left the point of hey you know Jalen Green as the franchise player and all this kind of you know narrative stuff. It's like no, well you know what? Now it's 
okay, where does Jalen Green and different players on the team right now fit in with the fit within the idea of a team that you're building around Alperin Shingo? You know, do they shoot well enough? Do they do other things well enough uh, without the ball? You know, and, and if so, great. And if not, then you're trying to find players that are like that. You know, that that that's where I am. I don't know about the max, and then like I'm kind of with you too on the let them play it out another year before you figure out what you pay them. But in terms of how you build the team, what the team actually looks like with this guy on the team, you know, I'm just like, hey man, it's it's time to go get shooters. You know, you need you, you need you need to go get shooters and guys who can defend. They they they, they shoot it better, and like Fred Van Vliet's had an awesome shooting year. Before last night, he was over 40% from three. I don't know what he's at now after last night. Um, Dylan Brooks has had a great shooting season when he's been on the floor. Uh, Jabari Smith, as we talked about, he's he's shot the ball really well. I think the big thing, they need some more consistency from that other, from Jalen Green uh, at, at that spot. But you can surround him with shooters. You surround him with cutters. He's become a really good role man. Uh, that Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun pick and roll has been really, really good. So I, I think that's... I think I don't think he's a hard guy to build around. I think the big thing is defensively. Do you have guys who can at least mask some of his deficiencies at that end of the floor? And so far, they've done really well with it. I mean, they have they have what a top five defense right now, and that's with him playing every single game. So I, I don't think that there is any reason to think that you can't maintain a really good defense. You can't. I think you can have a really good team with him on the floor. And I think that the team that they are building right now, it all kind of fits together. So I think that so far they're they're on the right track with this. All right, Adam. Cam Whitmore, my rookie. The guy who, when we were doing these shows before the draft, I was foolishly, by the way, I'll add this. I'll, I'll use this as a, or I'll qualify foolishly. I was advocating for the Rockets to draft number four overall. You know, now I say foolishly, not because he wasn't worthy, but because he was picked. He was they were able to get him at 20. You know, it would have been ridiculous to draft a guy for that you could have got at 20, as we've discussed before. But, you know, Cam Whitmore, the the draft steal, I would say the rookie I've been most intrigued to see has been pretty good. Wouldn't you say he's been pretty good in the times he's had to play? Tari Eason's been hurt. Um, Cam Whitmore's had to step up, particularly last night or, you know, uh, Wednesday night in 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 the uh, in the game against the Bulls, he looks like he belongs, man. He looks like you know, I don't want to oversell it or overstate it or anything, but at the very least, like you know, early in the season we're like, hey man, he needs to get some time in the G League, just be able to play all of that. Like to me, all that conversation's over with. That guy needs to be. If you're serious about winning games and you want players that can come in and impact the game on both ends of the floor. I feel like Cam Whitmore's got to be somewhere on the list. Well, he's shooting well. He's shooting 42% from three, which is not a number that I would have expected. He's really confident with that shot. Um, he's And he's taking advantage of this opportunity that he's gotten. And I think the, the big thing for him, and we'll wait and see how this shakes out once Dylan Brooks comes back because he's kind of gotten those minutes. And you look at how things turned out yesterday where it's Tate who started, and then all of a sudden it is uh, – then uh, Whitmore was the first guy off the bench coming in for Jabari Smith, allowing Tate to go to the floor. Then in the second half, it was Jeff Green who started, but it was Whitmore who finished the game in that in that spot. And so I'll be very interested to see. I asked Ime Yudoka about this last night. Are they going to do something with just the starting lineup um, moving forward, at least until Dylan Brooks gets back? And we'll have to wait and see on that because Yudoka wouldn't commit to anything or at least not disclose anything about that. 
So I'll be interested to see how that looks. I'll be interested to see what happens with the minutes. And this is not just Brooks who's out, but also Tari Eason. And so that's kind of the minutes that Whitmore is getting right now. Uh, but the one thing that I think will really be, and I thought this was really big for Whitmore last night, was the defense. And I think that's been one of the reasons why they've been hesitant to put him on the floor. They know he can score the ball. He's shooting it well. He's, in, he's, he's got a lot. He shoots the ball with confidence. Um, not quite a playmaker yet. You know, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, create shots for, for his teammates. But defensively, the fourth quarter last night was incredibly encouraging. And, and I think it's why he closed the game. And we talked about Jabari Smith spending a lot of time on DeRozan. It was really Whitmore who spent most of the time on DeRozan in the fourth quarter of that game. And Whitmore fell for a pump fake. It was the very first possession of the first quarter. Whitmore falls for a pump fake on DeRozan, gets called for the foul. At that, from that point on, he stuck with DeRozan. And he did not, DeRozan didn't make a field goal the rest of the game after that, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter. Um, and the, the primary defender was Whitmore. And he was able to stay with him. He was able to force him into tough shots. He didn't foul him. Uh, he had one strip that was at the rim. So the fact that he was able to hang defensively the way that he did against DeMar DeRozan in crunch time, that shows you a lot just of what he could be moving forward. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm interested to see what the log jam at that, you know, sort of call it wing position that, you know, that sort of three position, what what it's going to look like when you have everybody healthy, Dylan Brooks, Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore, you know, you've got, Jalen Green doing some things well on the floor, but just not scoring the ball in, in the way that you want from somebody who's got his player profile. So, like, where uh, w- something's got to give, and, and where does it give? You know, you you figure it's not going to give with Dylan Brooks if he's healthy. Tari Eason is is impossible to keep off the floor for what all that he gives you. And so, where's it going to give? Where's it going to give? And I think they. Uh, I think it's one of those good problems to have, you know, where you've got this guy who you weren't really expecting much from or weren't really sure what you could expect from for as young as he is. Um, you know, that's a that to me, that's excess talent right now or, or you know, a, a surplus of a, of a position for me right now. And it gives you options moving forward when you're trying to build out the roster. Like if you let's just play the hypothetical with Jalen Green. Like if you don't think that Jalen Green is worth really investing in in the future you don't have to now because you have a guy right about playing right behind him who could be who could wind up being that guy and so you could just elevate cam whitmore and now all of a sudden cam whitmore is getting those minutes and maybe you do something with Jalen green it's just a hypothetical that you throw out there but i do think that that's something that organizationally you do have to think about um and you are trying to figure out who are the guys that we're going to build this roster around moving forward you know i think that Jabari Smith is one, Shenguna is one, Eason would be one, and then you have these two rookies who, you know, we've seen, we haven't seen a whole lot of them in Thompson, we haven't seen a whole lot of Whitmore yet, but could those guys find their way? And then you have, you know, veterans like Dylan Brooks and Fred VanVleet that are still around. So it's, uh, it gives you options. You're not backed into a corner when it comes to signing some of these guys who maybe you're not 100% sold on yet. So I think that having Whitmore and then they're going to wind, probably wind up getting a lottery pick from Brooklyn, you know, this year, I mean, they, they lose their pick to, to Oklahoma city in all likelihood, but Brooklyn got beat again. And what, I think the nets are 16 and 22, something like that. So there's a good chance that they are still going to wind up with a lottery pick in this draft. And so that could be another guy. So like, it, it's nice to have talent because it gives you options. It gives you depth. 
And then it makes some of the tough decisions maybe a little bit easier because you don't feel like you're backed into a corner. And that matters as you're building out this roster because of the new CBA and a second apron and all the penalties that come with that. Now maybe you don't have to, you know, go over that second apron. And, you know, even though we're years and years away from having to worry about that. Like you mentioned, we haven't seen as much from Amon Thompson, but is it childish that I've already simulated uh, in my mind? This is before we did the podcast a couple of days ago. I thought about this. Um, remember, maybe it was last night when Ken Whitmore was uh, was balling defensively, but I've already actually simulated in my mind, simulated in my mind, a Rockets draft picks future starting lineup of Thompson. Whitmore, Eason, Smith, and Shingoon. Like, and it's not like I'm just trying to get rid of the veterans. I'm just thinking of like of a, a core five. And like, I don't know, because Jalen Green is still arguably the most talented of them all. But I'm at a point of kind of like, well, where does that where does that exactly fit into things? You know, um, and not really being sure of that. I don't know if they're sure that I would, I would say they're probably not sure of that at this point. But I've already, I feel like it's childish, but maybe not because you got to start thinking about thinking in those terms how they can't keep all of these guys. Somebody's got to go at some point. Who's it going to be? I wouldn't have guessed that that would be the way I'd go or the, how, the way I would think about it, you know, this this far into it. But I've, that's that's my five man simulation of what the future could look like. Now, obviously, that that's a little presumptuous because Thompson's got to prove and figure out and show a lot more before I'm talking about him as a starting point guard in this league. But I mean, he was drafted, I would assume or imagine to be something like that. So I I thought about it. I've I've, I've put that lineup in my head. I don't know. I'm sure they had to. I'm sure Rafael Stone has thought about that lineup as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, man, I, I I think this is a this is a, an exciting time, and they're right around. What do you think about this? You know where they are right now. This five hundred record, tenth um, place. They'd be right there in the thick of the play in. This has got to be right along the lines, just kind of scrappy. You know, not really necessarily sure they could win or lose any given night, but you don't you don't go into it feeling like they don't have a chance almost ever. You know, would you say to kind of put a bow on this that the that the Rockets for all of their ups and downs are right around close to roundabout where they should be or where they hope to be? Yeah, I mean, five hundred. I, I think that they would take that for a team that lost sixty games last year and sixty two the year before. They would have lost sixty had they played a full eighty two games. I think that they would probably take this. They are right in the thick of the play-in, and it's it's going to be really tough to make the play-in in the West. Uh, just, you know, obviously Memphis drops out with the Morant injury, but Utah's playing really well, and now all of a sudden they're in the thick of it. You have the Warriors, and right now Rockets sitting in 10th place, just two games up on the Jazz in the loss column for 11th. So uh, every game matters. Like, every game is important, and that's what is kind of, for them, I'm sure disappointing about last night because – it looked like they were going to steal that game. And then all of a sudden they get hit with a nine Oh run in overtime. And then you lose that game. But um, the, uh, the schedule is, you know, the schedule is what it is when you play in the West and they're done with Denver, but they still got a bunch of games left with Minnesota, a bunch of games left with Oklahoma city clip. You know, they play all these teams a lot. So uh, it, it's, 
If they do want to be in the play-in, it's not going to be easy to get there. And they're going to have to play well, and they're going to have to go out and earn that because it's going to take, you know, again, they're 18 and 18 right now. You're probably going to need at least 40, 41 wins just to get into the play-in. And that's what that's why this whole, you know, I think that they wanted to be in the play-in, and, and that was kind of the plan going in. But getting there is really difficult. And the fact that they are in it right now, here we are on January 11th, almost at the halfway point, I think it speaks to the fact that they can get there and they've got that opportunity. We'll see what happens at the deadline. They do have ways to add to the roster if they feel like they need to, but it's, it's there for them. And that's not something that you could have said January 11th, 2023 or January 11th, 2022. Like, so this is new territory for them. And I'm sure that for the guys that have been here the last couple of years, this is fun. The fact that they are in the, they are right there in the mix at this point of the year. All right, so you caught them on the Midwest out there in Chicago, now out there in Detroit. How much you gonna you gonna go east? Are you going? Are you going? Are you gonna catch? Uh, you know, Boston, Philly, New York. Are you going? Are you going the full gamut? Like, where where does this where does this road in for you, man? No, I, I will. So I will be in Detroit uh, tomorrow for the game against the Pistons, and then I'll head over to Boston for Ime Udoka's return there, and then I am headed back home from from Boston. So I'll I'll catch the next two. Um, obviously we'll see what happens the Pistons. That's a game that you should win. And then Boston, that's one of the best teams in the NBA with, you know, Ime Udoka going back to Boston. So I think that'll be an interesting one as well, but it'll be a good measuring stick just to see where they're at as you play against one of the best teams in the entire league. I'm, I'm really interested to see how he's received in Boston. I mean, like the, 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 the messiness of it all aside, like that that's part of the story and the fact that you know it, he had one year there and it was a really good year it was a promising year man they go to the finals like it's a it it should be both a fond memory of him of his time there but at the same time this incredible amount of disappointment that it was just that one year for um what some people might amount to being uh call it nonsense or like the something that just shouldn't happen like a a reason that should not exist a thing that should not have happened at all so like i wonder how i haven't you know i follow media boston media but i haven't had a great finger on the pulse for how they feel about Ime Udoka and his time there especially certainly not the fans so I'll, i'll be interested to see what you what you make of that and what you uh what you observe when you get there yeah and uh just his pregame availability on Saturday will be very interesting just because again, that'll be the first time that he's in front of Boston media since he was like, Oh, probably since the uh, uh, finals or maybe summer league, you know, right after that finals run. So um, he's going to have to answer those questions and uh, those aren't, those will go away. You know, he'll have to do that on Saturday, but then I guess you can, at that point, you kind of put the whole thing behind you and you carry on with your life and your career. All right. That's Adam Spillane. I'm Brandon Scott. We'll uh we'll catch up next week, do a little bit more of this. Uh Austin Mendez handling things for us behind the scenes. Um, yeah, man, we appreciate you guys. We want y'all to subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Till next time, y'all be good.